0: Our teaching for this evening is going to come from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. This is God's Word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, "'Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, "'Thus says the Lord God,' Behold, I will open your gates and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you
1: keep that um, reading that Matt did uh, handy, we're going to take a look at Ezekiel chapter 37 this evening. But before I do that, I want to remind you what we're doing right now. We are uh, taking a look at our new vision as a church, and if you have your worship folder handy, you can open up to the very uh, opening front cover there, and you'll see uh, the the language that we are we've adopted uh, to try to communicate this, and I want to give you a, a, a quick sense of, of what we're doing. Uh, for the next few weeks, Last, starting last week, this week, and the next couple weeks, we're just looking at uh, the sentence there under the heading, Our Vision, to pursue renewal and healing for all the people and places of Birmingham through gospel, ministry, and word and deed. And later, uh, sometime in this year, we'll take a look at the values and and the objectives down there. But just to give you a big picture sense, I like to think of all of this in terms of answering various questions. It's what helps me make sense of what we're saying here. So if you want to think about what, what question does our vision answer, it answers the question, what are we here to do? That's what the vision is meant to answer. And if you look at the values, what, what question do those uh, values uh, answer? And the, and the answer to that question would be, well, who are we? Uh, what are the things that, as a church, define who we are, that, that we as, as a church have come to own and, and believe and think are most descriptive and important to us? They're not unique to a church, but they're, they're important and essential to who we understand ourselves to be and god 's call on us as a church, and then what what question do the objectives answer? The objectives answer the question, "Well, how are we going to pursue this vision?" Now, what I want to do is is just look at this first sentence, and last week we looked at uh, the, just the first word there um, to pursue." And just like I did with um, those big categories, the questions that they answer, let me do the same thing for this vision statement. Because as some elders said to me after um, worship last week, they're like, when I said that we have talked about every single word in here, they were laughing. They thought they knew exactly what I meant. Because they sat in meetings where we were debating uh, for quite a long time the ins and the outs and these very, various nuances. And so I want to tell you, what, what are we trying to communicate with this sentence? Well, last week we looked at the word to pursue, and that answers the question, what are we here to do? We're here to pursue something, to seek after something. And last week, what we answered that with was to seek first the kingdom, God's reign. Everything that God loves that is good and true and beautiful that comes from Him. And tonight we'll look at renewal and healing, and that that those two words actually answer the question: Why are we here? Renewal and healing gets at there is something not right in our world, and God's done something about it. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. But and then you look at people and places that answers the question: Well, who are we? here to serve? Who are we called to love and neighbor and befriend and advocate for? And then lastly, the word indeed answers the question, how? How are we going to pursue this renewal and healing for these people and in this place through gospel ministry, through proclaiming the scriptures and serving and loving other people in tangible, real ways? So tonight... What I want to do is, is, like I said, look at renewal and healing with you and um, give you a little window into why did we land on those two words. Um, we landed on those two words because we're trying to encapsulate in as few words as possible uh, the, the good news that we read about earlier from Revelation 21, that there is a day coming when Jesus will return. God will dwell with his people there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sin. And he is going to make everything new. But we are not there yet. So what would it look like? What would it sound like for us to try and try and explain who we are as a church and what we're here to do in such a way that's in line with that beautiful vision, that great day, that anchors our hope. And we landed on these two words, renewal and healing, that they're intended to encapsulate a rich storyline throughout the Scriptures from the earliest chapters of Genesis after Adam and Eve rebel against God. And in judgment, God says that um, the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. But even the earliest chapters of the Scriptures God sets a trajectory that one day he's going to win and his grace and his goodness is going to reign and flourish forever. So that's how we got to that. But we also landed on these two words because they, they imply something. They imply that something has gone terribly wrong and it needs to be made new and that what has gone wrong it has left its mark it has left its mark on each of us it has left its mark in such a way that we are yet we are scarred we are guilty before god if you want to know what i'm talking about look for places in your life where you experience shame there's probably no better way identify what is the mark of of, of, of living independently from God than shame. So renewal and healing is what we're going to look at tonight. And I want to look at Ezekiel chapter 37 with you. And uh, since we're dropping into the middle of this large book, it's 48 chapters long. And if you've ever read Ezekiel, it is, um, it's a blockbuster. Uh, It's got more crazy stuff in it then perhaps, well, maybe not as much as Revelation, but you could perhaps put them side by side. They're, they're both amazing, vivid. They're not black and white. They are technicolor. Um, they're whatever, the HD4, whatever versions of TVs are. The, the, it's amazing. But what I want to give you a sense of is, where is Ezekiel in the story of the Bible, in the Old Testament? Um, think of it like this. Ezekiel shows up on the stage of the Scriptures towards the end of 2 Kings. This is near the end of Judah, the southern kingdom of God's people. Just a little bit of a reminder to catch you up. Uh, remember, there's, there's, God delivers his people out of Egypt, and after some time, uh, he anoints a king, And it's King Saul, who's not any good. And King David takes his place. And after King David, his son Solomon reigns. And then towards the end of Solomon's life, everything kind of falls apart. And there's war, and there's a divided kingdom. And so we have a northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and a southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And at this point in Ezekiel's uh, life and where he fits in the story, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been ruined and sent off into exile, but the southern kingdom of Judah has continued, and so ezekiel shows up he 's the son of a priest, and at age twenty five in five ninety seven b c he along with other Um, probably relatively well-off and um, powerful people in the southern kingdom are carried off into exile. There was an earlier group that was also carried off, but not everybody, and Ezekiel is actually carried off into exile in 597. And a few years later, in 593, while he's in exile with God's people away from the promised land, away from Jerusalem, God calls him to be a prophet, to be his mouthpiece to his people in exile. And so that's where we find ourselves as we come to the book of Ezekiel. And in particular, chapter 37 is about six or seven years into his ministry as a prophet, roughly around, shortly after 586. Now, why is that important? Because 586 was when Jerusalem fell and Babylon invaded it and just ruined it, destroyed it. So that's where we we find ourselves. Things are not good. And in fact, if you are interested, uh, as as, uh, rich and, and, and varied as Ezekiel is, it's fairly straightforward. Chapters 1 through 24 are 24 chapters of God cataloging His people's sin and rebellion against Him for 24 chapters. Then from chapter 25 through 32, God does the same thing for the nations. So the first 32 chapters of Ezekiel are nothing but God demonstrating everyone's failure And rebellion and sin against him. But in chapter 33 to the end of the book is this amazing change. It's full of good news. And in fact, many commentators, if you go and just flip open the book to the table of contents, this section that we're looking at is often referred to as the gospel according to Ezekiel. And what I want us to do is to look at this passage to try to get a handle on what does the scriptures teach about renewal and healing? How do we understand that from the scriptures? Well, we're going to begin here in this valley of of dry bones. If you look in verses 1 and 2, The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So here's the scene. This is a vision, and there are four sections in Ezekiel where God gives Ezekiel a vision that becomes a message to his people that he wants them to know. And here, in this vision, Ezekiel tells us that God picked him up and set him down in the middle of this huge valley and scattered across this valley are bones, human bones. And I, you know, there there are any number of, I guess, modern day examples you could give for this. It's pretty hard to get past um, any Nazi concentration camps to get across the imagery here. I was recently watching uh, the Band of Brothers uh, miniseries with my oldest son and, and the second to the last episode, it's, uh, the, this show follows the 101st Airborne and Easy Company, which is um, part of 101st Airborne. And in that episode, towards the end of the war, they come across a prison camp that the Nazis had abandoned and they had locked it shut though. And as they found this camp and entered into it, Jews who had been locked in there came out of these makeshift little cabins, uh, emaciated, uh, almost no color. It, It looked like a ghost town walking towards them. But the further you got into this camp, you began to see dead bodies, almost with no flesh on them anymore. And at one point, you see groups of of people dragging these dead bodies into these open holes where they would be buried. It's horrible. It, it, It makes your stomach churn. And here, God is, as it were, taking Ezekiel by the hand, walking him through this vast valley of dead bones, of dead people, showing him. And you have to realize He's the son of a priest. If you're a priest in Israel, you can't even touch a dead body, let alone a vast valley of human skeletons. That's the setting, and that's where we're going to enter into this story. And what I want us to see are two things. That renewal and healing means it requires us to accept the bad news. And renewal and healing means being made whole again. So let's first look at what does it mean to accept the bad news? First of all, a couple things. The bad news is overwhelming and the bad news is devastating. Look in verse 1 where here again Ezekiel tells us that this valley, it's full of bones in verse 1. In verse 2, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Just a quick couple things about this. In verse 11... We understand, we're told who these bones are. Then he said to me, son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Now, what is he trying to convey? If you were to look back in, in chapter 22, as God is is cataloging and delineating all the ways in which God's people have turned against him and even turned towards one another and sought after other gods and other nations to rescue them from opposing nations. There's just list after list. In the midst of that, it says that God was looking for someone to stand between his people and him so that he wouldn't destroy his people, and he found no one. That anticipates what Paul says later in Romans 3 when he says, no one is righteous. No, not one. Here's here's what we're, we're being told here. The whole house of Israel is lost. There is no one to be found with a heart for God who trusts him Who loves him all is lost but also not only is it overwhelming it's devastating notice how he says here that these bones are very dry the idea here is that the evidence for these people who are all across this this valley have long been dead the scavengers whether birds or other animals have come and done their their work There's no flesh left. It's just skeletons. And notice also they're unrecognizable. Their true identity is lost. No one knows who these people are. You see, to accept the bad news, what we have to understand, what sin does in your life, it ruins you. It leads to death it actually takes away your very identity have you ever had a friend or maybe you've said this before where a person has done something or has made a series of decisions and it has resulted in disaster and what they have said to you is something like this that i don't know how i got here or they might say you know i don't even know who i am anymore See, what Ezekiel is... God is telling us through Ezekiel in this valley of dry bones. If you were to look back at chapters 1 through 24, all it is is God's catalog of spiritual decline and brokenness and guilt and shame to the point where there's nothing left but skeletons with no identity. That's the bad news. And what this whole vision here is meant to illustrate is that God's people who are now in exile after Jerusalem has been ruined there's nowhere to go there's no one who can save them they are utterly cut off they are lost and they actually say this again in verse 11 Here, the words of the people saying our bones are dried up and our hope is lost we are indeed cut off The idea here is that this is a vivid picture of a living death. Now, that's the bad news that we have to accept as the Scriptures puts it to us. But interestingly, God, in light of this situation, asks Ezekiel a question. He says, son of man, can these bones live? Now, just in light of what we just talked about, that's kind of an absurd question. How could these bones live? They're very dry. There's no life left in them. It's not possible for these bones to live again. And perhaps picking that up, Ezekiel answers and he says, um, Oh Lord, God, you, you know, only you know. Which, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this happen where somebody says something to you and you say, yeah, that's very well played. This is for Ezekiel, a very well played answer. He doesn't really venture to guess. But he does know that if they're going to live, it's only God that knows. And so what I want to look at is if we have to accept the bad news to, to understand the scripture's idea and teaching of renewal and healing, what I want you to see positively Is that renewal and healing means being made whole again? And how so? Well, in verse 4 through, uh, pretty much through verse 10, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones. He says, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so that's what he does. Verse 7, he prophesies as he's commanded. And all of a sudden, he begins to hear this rattle, this sound, this clanking of human bones taking shape, coming back together. And sinews and tendons and flesh and skin begin to cover them. And then he says in verse 8, but there was no breath in them. So you have to picture this. You have human beings fleshed again, but no breath in them. And God says, prophesy again, and so the Senate, he prophesies again that the breath would come and God would breathe life into these human beings. And he does. And what I think we're meant to see here is that renewal and healing means being made whole again both physically and spiritually. There is, depending on which sort of background you've had in, in, the, in the Christian world, you can often think this is, Christianity is just about fire insurance between here and heaven. That is not how the Bible envisions faith in Christ. It's a very physical religion. And it is a holy spiritual one too. Where God cares about all of creation. Your, your heart And your body. And here, this is a vivid picture. In fact, ten times in this passage, uh, the word translated either wind or breath or spirit is ruach in Hebrew. And what you're meant to see here is that it's God's spirit who's the active agent bringing life back into these dead bones, into God's people. Who have rejected him and turned away from him. And in verses 12 through 14, 11 through 14, is this beautiful promise. It's a promise that God will bring them back, He will restore them, He will resurrect them. It's a promise of a living future for Israel. And it's a promise that is so vast and overwhelming and comprehensive. It echoes Genesis chapter 2 when God created Adam and Eve. Here you have a, a picture of God recreating His people anew. Now why does God give them this promise? This promise in verses 12 through 14. He gives it to them to give them hope. Why do they need hope? Because they're cut off. They are lost. They are in Babylon with no home. And God gives them this great vision through Ezekiel because he wants them to know he isn't done with them yet. He isn't done with them yet. Because it's from these very dry bones pictured in this valley, from this house of Israel that is characterized by nothing but rebellion and death. It is from these very dry bones that the one that God was looking for would come the one who would stand in the gap between him and his people so that his people wouldn't be ruined. And that's the Lord Jesus. That it's the Lord Jesus who comes from these people. In fact, Matthew puts it like this, that picking up on a passage from Hosea chapter 11, he says, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And Matthew takes that passage and applies it to Jesus The point of which is to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of this tragic valley of dry bones. And in fact, what the cross tells us is that Jesus puts himself in this valley. He comes to lay down with these people as a dead man. To identify with them. And it's through his death and his resurrection... That this whole imagery here of death and resurrection that is a metaphor in Ezekiel 37 becomes a reality in Jesus. Now, what does it then mean for us to be made whole in Christ? That's where this whole passage brings us. It brings us to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a part of God's new creation. Even if you can't see it right now. Or even if it feels like your body is withering and breaking up. To be in him means you're part of God's new creation. But it also means What about the healing? First Peter tells us that it's by Jesus' wounds that you are healed. Have you thought about that? There is a lot of sin and brokenness in this world. And the scriptures tell us the only thing that can heal you are the wounds of Jesus, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. That's the only thing we have to give one another, our neighbors, this city, are the wounds of Jesus. His wounds can heal you. Now, if, if you were here last week, I, I want to finish by addressing something that we always have to keep in mind when we talk about renewal and healing. This idea of being a part of God's work here and now to bring blessing and hope and wholeness and good news to one another and where God has put us is there's going to be a constant tension. There's an already and a not yet. We talked about this last week. And there's perhaps no better place to go than in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, where Paul says, even though things are not what they will be, we do not lose heart. And this is what he says. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day even though our outer selves are wasting away, our inner selves are being renewed day by day. Do you know what that means? That means no matter what you experience, however terrible it is, whether it's something that you have done or will do, or whether it's something someone has done to you or will do to you, God's renewing life-giving, transforming power of His Holy Spirit taking up residence in your life. Nothing can overcome that. What Paul is telling you here, no matter how much breakdown physically, relationally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, no matter how much guilt or shame you may feel or know in your life, None of that can keep God from renewing you in the deepest depths of your being and giving you hope. How do you know that? Because he has not given up on his people. That's what the cross tells you. The wounds of Jesus tell you that it's worth it to God. He's willing to pay the price in order that you would be made new, in order that you would be healed, and that you would be a sign, you personally and us as a community, a sign to the watching world of what God could do for the nations through Jesus, for all who would come to him and trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this this passage and the good news that you are a God who, who, who renews, who heals, who forgives, who receives the unworthy and the unacceptable, and calls them sons and daughters through faith in Christ. Father, thank you that though we are dead on our own, you sent your son to live for us and even to die for us and to rise again so that we might walk in newness of life through faith in him. Father, thank you for that good news and and we pray as a community that you would help us to pursue that good news, to share that good news with one another, both in the things that we say and the things that we do and it would bubble up out and over the the boundaries of this community into our friendships and our workplaces and into our city to the praise of your glorious grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.